Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Torah study number 50 this morning as we get started in the presence of the Lord. Uh, We're in Deuteronomy 26 today, and that number 50 is a a good godly number, isn't it? Who knows it's a jubilee number when uh, restitution is made, amen, restoration happens, and uh, it's very symbolic that during this time of Elul, this time on God's calendar, uh, that we plug into these revelations. And uh, as you know, we are in this 40-day period on God's calendar. And uh, we know it's the Hebrew month of Elul. Uh, It's uh, the 21st day in Elul. So we're heading towards day 40. And this is the season of Teshuvah. The season of return. It's God's trumpet is calling us all. The shofar is sounding on a daily basis uh, like God's alarm clock to wake us up from any spiritual slumber, to get our priorities in order, uh, return to God, return to loving Him, putting Him first, and uh, making His priorities our priorities. And why do we do that? Because Judgment Day is coming. Rosh Hashanah, which happens, uh, uh, I think, a week from Monday night, Rosh Hashanah is a Judgment Day. It's also the... Uh, one of the high holidays. It's also known as the head of the year. It's one of the several new years that there are on God's calendar. But it's a judgment day. And uh, on that day, uh, when we go into eternity, that's when the books are open. The church gets raptured. And we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What a sight that will be. That's why it's called the ten days of awe. Uh, Amen. Because beginning with Rosh Hashanah and then seven days later, Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, God does some special things. There's something He's embedded in His calendar that we're meant to understand and lay hold of. And one of those things is that the biblical holidays uh, are a shadow, a type, of God's master plan of redemption. Okay? The spring holidays revealed the first coming. Passover, Pentecost, right? The second, uh, or the fall holidays reveal the second coming. Rosh Hashanah is the Feast of Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, and then Yom Kippur is a shadow or a type of the second coming. 
The rapture, we meet the Lord in the air. The second coming is uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is when we come out of heaven as part of the army of God and all of those people that decided they were smarter than God and they had a better plan, the Antichrist crowd, all of those guys are going to find out who the real Lord of Lord and King of Kings is. And so Elul and the blowing of the shofar, uh, they represent the messianic birth pangs that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. And so God's alarm is sounding, right? And right now we're seeing many different events happen. Who, who would think that lawlessness would just be running a rampage in America and around the world? We see things uh, in different countries. We see wars and rumors of wars. Different kingdoms trying to rise up against God's kingdom. The LBGTQRSTWXYZ. Uh, trying to bring a different morality and there's a conflict going on and God is saying don't go through the birth pangs worried don't go through the birth pangs in fear when you see these things happen look up because your redemption draweth nigh and occupy until I come Meaning spiritually, in your spirit, you're strong in the Lord. In your mental and spiritual condition, you're resisting the devil. And you do that in prayer, you do that at the ballot box, you do that using your texting and emailing to corporations and politicians that are trying to represent the Antichrist world. We don't approve of this. I have hundreds of friends that believe the same, that we don't approve of this. And you register a protest. Amen. And so that's partly uh, uh, what our job is during the birth pangs. And so all of this is shouting, Jesus is coming. Right? Isn't that what we want? (laughs) We want Jesus to come. But we're not going out bowing down and bending down and slowing down and yielding to the Antichrist crowd. So we need to be strong in spirit. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And on and on and on, right? And uh, during this time, uh, it's traditional to be involved with uh, redoubling your efforts to be a light to the world. Okay? The world is broken. And part of our job is to bring light into darkness, to repair a broken world. That's tikkun olam. Amen. And so uh, the, the Apostle Paul spoke of this very thing when he wrote in Ephesians 5 about redeeming the time. Who is familiar with that phrase in Ephesians? Redeeming the time. Let me read it from the Passion Translation. Uh, Be very careful how you live. So the shofar is blowing to remind us, be careful how you live. Not being like those with no understanding. Who's thankful you have spiritual knowledge and wisdom and understanding. But live honorably with true wisdom. Okay? And uh, uh, because we are living in evil times. 
Take full advantage of every day as you spend your life for His purposes. And don't live foolishly, for then you will have discernment to fully understand the will of God. Ephesians 5, uh, 15 and 16 and 17. Amen. So that's a description of what Elul is all about. Why should we study the biblical holidays? Because the Apostle Paul did, and he just wrote about it. <laughs> if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for us. Right? And that's one of the keys. And another key is that the Lord right now is preparing our reward. It's going to happen one of two ways. The reward is going to happen. Okay? It's either going to happen for all of eternity when the rapture happens, or it's going to happen for the whole next year. Because the holidays are a shadow and a type. And so what God says I'm going to do during the holidays is a shadow and a type. So one, time, one day it will be for all of eternity. But if eternity doesn't happen, if the rapture doesn't happen, then God is saying I'm still preparing a reward. Only it will be a temporary reward that will be renewed next year at this time. That's what Judgment Day is all about. And Jesus explained this, uh, and He explained that your reward is based on not what you believe. Your reward isn't based on what you think, what you believe. James, the first pastor of the New Testament church, said, The devils believe. So there's got to be something different than just, I believe. And that's where the church has struggled to be powerful, is we're raising up a generation of believers that never transition into believing. <laughs> we're raising up a generation of believers at the altar call, and that's where the journey stops. The goal is to go from being a believer... Into being, you thought I was going to sing the monkey song. <laughs> I'm a believer. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. Into being a disciple. The Great Commission doesn't say go into all the world and teach people to believe. It says go into all the world and make disciples. The disciplined ones, the Christ-like ones, meaning that there's a whole lot of changing supposed to be happening. And so even in the church, people say, well, I was born that way. But that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. <laughs> because we were all born a certain way, with a human nature, but you're born again to take on the divine nature and, uh, and so Elul reminds us of this. It's an advanced warning so you don't uh, enter into judgment day with a negative judgment. You don't want too much on your negative side of your balance sheet. Every one of us has a balance sheet in heaven. <laughs> and it's filled on this side all the good things and on this side all the not so good things. 
And you want to have your balance sheet tipped in the right direction. Amen? So, uh, if this Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, if it is the rapture, we'll stand before the Lord and God will reward us according to what we did, not what we believe. You'll be judged, I'll be judged for what we did or didn't do. The heavenly books will be open. This is a divine rehearsal of all of that. Right? If it doesn't happen, it was a holy convocation. Leviticus 23, the word holy convocation means divine rehearsal. God gave us the holidays to rehearse redemption. And so every time it comes up, when Christmas comes around, we're starting to put our Christmas trees up before Halloween. (laughs) Some of us never took them down. (laughs) Still got our Christmas. We understand that. Understand this. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So, be sure your good deeds are stored up in heaven. Alright? That's your heavenly bank account. It's not because you're trying to earn your way to heaven. It's because you're trying to position yourself for a nice reward. And if the reward doesn't come in heaven, it'll come down on the ground while we're still around in the form of a better quality of life. Less of the devil messing around in our... You can't cross this blood-bought territory. Because I've been walking the straight and narrow, keeping my nose clean, doing what the Bible says to do and all the things that we talk about. And so as the shofar blows... Uh, the blessing, you may have heard this, the blessing that's spoken is, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who commands us to hear the voice of the shofar. Notice what it doesn't say. Blessed are those who blow the shofar. See, there's something God's saying there. He's saying, what does all of this mean? Okay, what is all of this supposed to stimulate in me and activate in me? Or do I just go home and uh, try to get out? Man, I hope pastor's done at quarter to 12 because the cowboys are on at, at noon. I don't, you know, I love watching football. I watched a bunch of it yesterday and I was just so happy about that. But I'm even more happy that I'm a blood-bought believer, a disciple of Christ. And that God has given me, He's opened my eyes, He's opening your eyes to understand all of this at a deeper level so that we can share that. And when the birth pangs happen, we're not shaken. Amen. Amen. Traditionally, we shared this in early morning prayer last week, Psalm 27 is read throughout the month, throughout the 40 days. And in Psalm 27, King David sums up what our priorities should be. What teshuvah, returning to the Lord, should mean. And David says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek. Amen. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the, of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. 
right? And so there's the bottom line. If, if there was no prosperity, no health or healing, no peace, no joy, no nothing promised, you accept Jesus as Lord and suffer until He comes, you still couldn't praise Him enough and worship Him enough. Thanks be to God that uh, He gave us all those promises too. <laughs> but the main priority, love the Lord. Shema Israel. Amen. So if, it, if we've gotten away from some of this, if we've lost a little of our enthusiasm, and our, we need to recapture that right now. Right? I don't know what you need to do. Everybody has their own little tricks of the trade. If you've got to run for your miracle, then run for it. <laughs> I don't necessarily think you need to fa- fall and flop and foam. Amen. But whatever you got to do to stir yourself up in your most holy faith, do it. Right now. Get your mind off your problems. Get your mind on the Lord. Father, thank you that if all I have is problems the rest of my days, I still have salvation. And if I've been with you for 10,000 years, it's going to be like I just got started. And that is uh, the big thing, right? That's the main point. City slickers, that one thing. Okay, so why 40 days? 40 is a biblical number. And it represents a cleansing, a purification, a level of commitment, a dedication. It's seen as a time of testing, a time of completion. If you think about it, that number 40 comes up with Noah. How long did the rains last? Amen. And amazingly, the baptismal, the mikvah, for it to be a a proper mikvah has to have 40 biblical measures in order for it to be official. 40. Israel lived through the wilderness how many years? 40. How many days did Jonah warn Nineveh? Forty days. How long was Jesus himself in the wilderness? Fasting, praying, preparing to launch his ministry, defeating the devil along the way. And after the sin of the golden calf, Moses went back to the mountain on the first day of Elul. And 40 days later, there was the very first Yom Kippur. 40 days after the sin was the Day of Atonement. And Moses came back with the second set of tablets, and it showed Israel that God forgives you. So, it's it's something uh, to behold, isn't it? So it's no coincidence that this week's Torah study dovetails with everything we just covered. And two of the major themes include the giving of our first fruits and that classic list. How many of you are old time charismatics, been in the Word of Faith movement a long, long time? You undoubtedly have heard a sermon out of Deuteronomy 28 at some point. 
I'm blessed in the field, blessed in the country. I'm the head, I'm not the tail. That's all Deuteronomy 28. And so God is laying out in this week's study uh, this uh, way to give a first fruits, and then the blessings or curses that will come upon Israel depending on whether they obey or disobey. And it begins in Deuteronomy 26, verse 1. It says, When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then it goes on from there. And what happens next is this powerful speech that God says to speak over the first fruit offering that you bring into the appointed priest at the appointed time at the appointed place. And what's so interesting about the speech, I won't take time to read it, it's in Deuteronomy 26, Uh, it's a speech uh, that touches on a lot of things, including, I'm giving my first fruits, Father God, the first of what I've produced in the promised land as an expression of my gratitude for bringing me into the promised land. Hallelujah! And for bringing me out of an impossible situation, and that impossible situation was Pharaoh in Egypt. So it's an opportunity uh, to reconnect with being thankful, showing gratitude, having a grateful heart, but it also reconnects us to our salvation history, okay? Our ancestors have a story to tell, right? And a lot of people are returning to Ancestry.com. We are doing that here uh, by learning about our Jewish roots and realizing that our ancestry, spiritually speaking, goes further back than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If that's where you, if that's all the little leaves that you open up to just get you to Matthew, that's how that thing works. Uh, that's fine. But, uh, look, let's learn more. And uh, we now learn that we go all the way back to Genesis. And it's vital we remember. Okay? We need to remember those that came before us. All of a sudden, America's forgetting. And people are trying to help us forget. It's like they're trying to give us Alzheimer's. I'm not having spiritual Alzheimer's. I rebuke spiritual and physical Alzheimer's in Jesus' name. Our ancestors, going all the way back to Abraham and before, did a whole lot to make sure that we're where we're at right now in our spiritual condition, right? We have a Messiah. Our sins are forgiven. We're connected to every blood-bought promise. And uh, it was the ancestors that paved the way for that. They're part of the great cloud of witnesses. And they've handed you and me a baton. And God is trying to stir that up when He says, Speak this speech. 
when you sow your offering, your first fruits, remember where you came from. And remember where I want to take you. Amen. See, one thing we can't forget is the reason we come to church is to remember we have a part in the body of Christ to take that baton and pay it forward. We're not just here for me, my wife, my two kids, us four, and no more. (laughs) We're here to pay it forward. However we work that out in our own lives, we need to work that out. And a lot of times it means get your mind off yourself all the time. You're like Jim Carrey, me, myself, and Irene. Stop that. Think more than just about me. Think about we. If you notice in the Lord's Prayer and all the Jewish prayers, it's much more about we than it is about I. And Christianity needs to transition out of what's in it for me and see the bigger picture. Now there's different interpretations uh, to the first fruit speech. And one says it begins with an Aramaean tried to destroy my forefather. That's how, okay, I'm sowing my first fruits. And God says, I want you to say this special prayer, this special speech. And it begins with, an Aramean tried to destroy my forefather. See, God's trying to get us to remember back. Because there's something in remembering back that connects you with your identity as part of the family of God. So why is he mentioning... Uh, this Aramean, and what does it have to do with first fruits? Because during the time uh, of Jacob, Jacob went into an exile for 20 plus years. And his exile wasn't like in Egypt, it wasn't like with Pharaoh, it was with an uncle. He was exiled into a family. Led by Laban, Uncle Laban. So what does that have to do with anything? Because Laban is secular. Laban doesn't believe in the Most High God. Laban believes in pagan idol. He's a secular humanist. And he likes his lifestyle. And he's trying to influence Jacob to abandon his spiritual mission and become like part of Laban's family. Don't you know that's what's happening right now? There's a culture war going on. And Laban could be a representation of the secular humanists that are trying to turn us from one nation under God to one nation under government. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. But separating from Laban's influence wasn't so easy. And right now in America, we're so preoccupied with me, myself, and I, we don't see that we're the frog in the kettle and the Antichrist crowd is turning up the heat and one day our goose is going to be cooked unless we stand up and say, Stop it! In the name of Jesus. And we do that in prayer. 
Do that on your social media and see what happens. Throw a little rock into, and whoever yelps the loudest, that's who you hit. I don't agree with all of this stuff. I agree with what the Bible says. And then you'll find out who's with you and who's not. And you'll probably find out a lot of people won't say a word. They won't like your comment. They won't comment on it. And they sure won't share it. But God is saying we need to make a stand in our own unique ways. That doesn't mean we need to be overly obnoxious. But it's time the church stopped being pushed around. Right? And so Jacob had to come to that point. And, and the, the Passover Seder explains something very interesting about this relationship between Jacob and Laban. And, of course, this is the speech, Right? Your, your forefather had a battle with a Armenian Laban. And it says in the Passover Seder, Pharaoh sought to annihilate only the males, while Laban sought to uproot everything. So who was worse? Pharaoh or Laban? Right? Now... There's nothing in the Bible that specifically states any attempt that Laban was going to try to do what Pharaoh had done, killing all those innocent babies. In fact, you kind of get the opposite impression. You kind of get the feeling that Laban is just so welcoming and he keeps offering and he keeps giving uh, uh, new deals to Jacob to keep him around. And when Jacob decides to leave, Laban acts like he's hurt. But hidden in all of this is a big danger. Because... What Laban is trying to do is seduce Jacob into abandoning his spiritual mission and assimilating into Laban's family and culture. Right? And nowadays our government is using all kinds of coercion to try to get us to abandon our Bible principles. They will tell the greatest stories <laughs> about, I'm the, I'm the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Laban didn't care about Jacob's mission. And the government doesn't care about the church's mission. So if Jacob's going to fulfill his destiny, he's got to separate himself. Amen. Now put this in the context of the first fruit offering. When I sow my first fruit offering here uh, coming up on the Feast of Tabernacles, I am making a commitment that I am separating myself away from all that's Laban into all that's God's. Come on, somebody. I'm rejecting the pagan culture, the immoral culture. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Amen. 
What's also so fascinating about this is that there's some in uh, Jewish uh, wisdom, Jewish teachers, that teach that the first fruit offering is what breaks the curse of the sin of the spies. Forty years earlier, the spies went into the promised land and they came out with all the first fruits. Oh, the grapes and the figs and the dates and all the harvest was bigger than we've ever seen in our whole lives. Bigger than anything that we saw in in Egypt. But then uh, the spies who saw everything exactly the way God said it. Man, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. But in spite of all of that, they did something unbelievable. They didn't listen to God. They listened to their fears. They didn't respond in faith. They responded in fear. Doubt and unbelief came in. And they rejected the promises of God. So the first fruit offering, God says, as you enter the land, so a first fruits. Because you need to break the curse. The spies did some things that have been affecting you ever since. What? Forty years in the wilderness. Forty years not in the promised land. And God is saying, you've got to counter some things. See, and this is where you just can't sit back in your spiritual life. Okay? You have got to be advancing. You can't be retreating. Advance, 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 advance. Build yourself up every way you can, every chance you get. Otherwise, when the birth pangs happen, all of a sudden, you take your eyes off of the, uh, the redemption that's coming and you put them on the winds, the storms, and the waves. And instead of operating by faith, you get into fear. So you counter that, and, and in this case, with a first fruit offering. And with a mindset... This is so important that you have a heritage, people. Our heritage, our ancestors, all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob counts for something. And we can't forget what's been done and what's been paid forward so that we could have this great salvation. So, are we committed to carrying on the spiritual mission? Absolutely. A famous Jewish author uh, once wrote that God made Jews the first in history to make memory a religious duty. Wow. Memory is a religious duty. We need to remember some things. And if we're not remembering enough, then put the remote down and get the books out and read, 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 read and study and learn. Because remembering and what we're remembering is a religious duty. There was a price paid for you to have what you have right now. You need to remember that. Right? If you've got to watch the Passion five times in a row to get it through, then watch the Passion five times in a row. 
and you'll see the price that was paid. And when you remember the price that's been paid, then it's not so easy to gallivant out there on your own thinking you're something. We also need to realize, like Laban, there's a devil who wants us to forget so that we abandon our godly convictions. We've talked about this again and again, but we're right in the middle of a cultural war. America is in the middle of a big battle, even around the world. The Antichrist crowd is alive and well, and they're preparing the world for the coming of the Antichrist. We better redouble our efforts to prepare the world for the coming of the Lord. Come on, somebody. And one of the big things that secular humanists are doing right now, they're all under a satanic influence, they want to tell a different story. They want to rewrite American history and Bible history. Why? Because Satan knows that your memory is essential to your identity. If you forget the gospel story, you lose your identity. Who am I in Christ? I forgot. It's hard to win spiritual warfare battles if you forget who you are in Christ. So there's an all-out cultural battle to rewrite everything. So that everything we've grown up believing is discredited and defamed and ultimately destroyed. Sounds like what the devil would do. I love Rabbi Sachs, and uh, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he wrote a great article, We Are What We Remember. There is such a thing as a national equivalent of Alzheimer's. We, who we are depends on what we remember. And in the case of the contemporary West, talking about America, Australia, Britain, Europe, the West, the uh, old, old Roman Empire and uh, who sprang out of that. There's a failure of collective memory that poses a real and present danger to the future of liberty. Jews have told the story of who we are for longer and more devotedly than any other people on the face of the earth. That's what the Passover Seder is all about. Why does it take four hours? Because there's a lot of remembering. And we're trying to pass that along to our kids. This is what makes Jewish identity so rich and resonant. In an age in which computers and smartphone memories have grown so fast, from kilobytes to megabytes to gigabytes, human memories have become shortened. You can't delegate memory to machines, the rabbi writes. You have to renew it regularly and teach it to the next generation. Do you realize what they're teaching in schools now? 
what, once the Zoom thing started happening because of the pandemic, all of a sudden parents got a whiff, got a, a visual on, what the heck did that lady just say to my kid? And all of a sudden, uh, you got this grassroots pushback. God bless the parents who go to those school board meetings and stand up and say, you're not going to teach racism again tomorrow. We got set free of racism. We don't have it all down yet. We're not perfect with it all yet. But we're on our way of fulfilling Dr. King's vision that we won't be judged by the color of our skin. And yet, satanically, that's what's being regurgitated through critical race theory. Winston Churchill said, the longer you can look back, the further you can see forward. Or to put it slightly different, those who tell the story of their past have already begun to build their children's future. And that's what this is all about. Right? Church is more than just a bless me club. We have got to start learning some stuff and insisting that what we're learning is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Can you handle the truth? <laughs> so God says if you want to live in the land of promise, sow a first fruits with this legacy and this heritage in mind. Amen? Amen. It's no coincidence that you get this, uh, <coughs> this famous list of blessings and curses in Deuteronomy 28. And uh, we just don't have time. We've got to wrap this up. But in Deuteronomy 28, Basically, if you are diligent to do all these things, there's a whole lot of blessings that'll start coming your way. And really, at the in the bottom line, the longer that we're believers and the more we understand divine principles and learn how to apply them, the the uh, the enemy's work will diminish. And the love of God, the blessing of God will increase. It just works that way. If I'm still struggling massively in all these different areas, it's just because I haven't learned enough. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. But it also says that if you don't learn these principles and put them into action that all of these curses will come upon you. It's what we were saying <coughs> the other day about you're at a crossroads. Do I choose blessing? Do I choose cursing? Now, when you just get started in all of this, there's, there's still that, uh, that big, big challenge to overcome and just reorder your life and get yourself... But look, if we've been in this thing for 20, 30 years, we ought not be always overwhelmed by the devil. Devil, even if the devil is doing something, it's not like we're defeated. I don't know what's going on, but I bind you, devil. And I declare victory over my family, over my health, over my finances, over my children. And we just take on that spirit of faith. 
And we fight the good fight of faith with the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and we just keep on and having done all to do that, we keep on keeping on. That's how it's done. The younger you are, the less you know about all that. That's why we just can't have a hype fest. In church can't just be a hype fest. Oh, God, go bless you. I need more than God's going to bless me, okay? I need to know how, how do I activate the laws of sowing and reaping? How does being a blessing affect my life in all of these different ways? And then I got to stir myself up and do what, you know, it's like taking a bath. Use the soap. The gospel is like soap. It only works when it's applied. So these 98 curses come up. There are a lot more curses than there were blessings. 15 verses of blessings and the rest of the chapter is curses. But God doesn't want you living in the curse. He blows the shofar. He reminds us through these kind of teachings. He gives us 40 days of teshuvah, 40 days of the shofar. And as we reconnect to His priorities and redouble our efforts to taking care of our Father's business, boy, I'll tell you what, the curses will diminish. The blessings will increase. We'll be a light to the world. And we won't go out with a moan. We'll go out with a shout, Thank you, Lord, I went out with faith and victory in every area. Amen Amen and amen. Well, if you receive that this morning, give the Lord a praise.